What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 55 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. I gotta say, it is awesome to be back in the States. I had a fantastic time in Ireland. Can't wait to tell you guys all about it, so Mike and I will get all caught up. In our education section this week, we're going to talk about charting out songs and getting ready for gigs. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Alex Rudinger. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the 40th anniversary Modern Drummer 5.5 by 14 single ply maple snare drum that was a mouthful we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started skype can suck it how are you buddy (laughs) that was like a 15 minute restart for this episode i know do you think anyone even well i was gonna say do you think anyone knows what we put into this but then i was about to say do you think anyone cares no we put of course not it doesn't matter how much you practice can you do the gig it's all that matters exactly that's right so this is this is gig number 55 episode 55 the monitor podcast i'm mike he's mike how are you pal everything good everything is doing great you know we finally finally cooled down here we had a major heat wave this past week and of course i had four outdoor gigs this weekend and it was absolutely brutal Hopefully there weren't too many oh. people else out there gigging on the weekend coast because it was like a hundred and eight heat index with like really high humidity. So it was gnarly. It was not fun. Do you even do you even bother doing your hair? Uh, no, of course not. I mean no. the first gig it was like I'm wearing shorts. I don't care what you say. I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> I don't care about your I don't care about your stupid wedding. It I'm was, wearing shorts. It was so hot, and I took the uh, the Promark Active Grip sticks because I knew I'd be sweating my face off. Yeah. And those things were really cool when you're when it's just hot, but when it's humid, they get like slippery noodles. So, oh really? Yeah. And my hands just backfired on profusely. you. They were fine. I was able to get through the gig. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't. I was hoping to be. It like, didn't get enhanced. Yeah. You were hoping the yeah. I was yeah, hoping, but the, you know, that. the second night it was indoors, and they I definitely noticed them sticking to my hands a little bit in a good way. So that was kind of fun. Wow. Very cool, man. Very yeah, cool. So you were not out in the East Coast heat. <laughs> <laughs> I was not, man. But I, I got to say, uh, this time of Ireland, it's it's about as nice as it gets. It was probably 75 degrees every day. Um, every once in a while, we'd have like a little bit of mist, but it never rained. Um, a little bit of cloud cover every now and then. But it was just beautiful out there. In Technically, the town we're in is called Westmead. Um, so Westmead, Ireland. But yeah, it was it was fantastic, man. We had had an absolute ball. So did that, and uh, you know the surprise for that was was having a new addition, which was Ash Sone. Yeah. And we didn't know how he would work. I had a probably a three minute FaceTime call with him leading up to this, saying, "Hey, what are you doing next week?" Um, <laughs> and luckily, the voice, the new season of the voice, what hadn't started taping yet. He was in between uh, recording sessions, and so he had the time to do it. But I only had a a couple minutes to judge, is this guy the right person to become these campers' big brother and their uncle and fit in with myself and Mark? And really, unfortunately, kind of take the place of of Sput for that situation. And Sput was so fantastic. And um, I mean, because he's obviously a phenomenal drummer. We all know that, but he's a phenomenal human being as well. And it was just lame circumstances that caused him to not be able to go last minute. So, yeah, Ash stepped in. And within, I'd say, within maybe two hours of the three of us being together, we were already filming slow motion videos of us running past a bonfire. (laughs) And we were being idiots within a couple hours. So it worked out great. And the, the dynamic of the camp was just 
just awesome because you would get the way it worked was each day somebody different went first, second, and third. So we were constantly rotating. But no matter what order it was in, you were going to get Mark's brain melting. What did I say? Uh, I guess his exercises, but they're they're brain melting because of how simple they are. That's yeah. what's melting your brain. It's specific. You're like, they're very specific. So specific, and he's like. It, you're sitting there going, I know these are quarter notes. I'm well aware of that, but why can't I do them anymore? Yeah. And so he's completely melting your brain with simplicity. And then you get my very analytical teacher approach to this is exactly what it is, blah, blah, blah. And once your brain just can't handle anymore, Ash comes in and says, okay, uh, I just tracked this seal song and it has a halftime shuffle. Who wants to track this seal song? That's and great. we all go in the session and we all track it, including myself and Mark. And then, you know, he's, uh, Pino is like one of the bass players he plays with more than anybody. Almost every album he's done, it's him and Pino Palladino doing the rhythm section. And so he has track, I mean, stems after stems after stems of recording sessions where he's like, who wants to track with Pino? And we all go in and we all track with Pino Palladino. And it's amazing. It was so cool because, I mean, it was still just as much of a learning experience, but it was a little less mentally taxing. It was it was kind of like, okay. I'm only going to play things I already know. Now it's my job to make them feel good and to sound good, you mm. know. And uh, yeah, so it was. We just had a blast, man. Uh, a little bit too much fun sometimes, but yeah, we had a great time. So, and not not a single returning camper from the previous camp. So these were all brand new people. That's great. So was was great. it was it just happenstance that you're all Gretsch players? Totally, wow. totally. Yeah, actually, it wasn't even until I was in Ireland that I contacted Andrew Shreve over at Gretsch and said. Uh, I, I just walked in the door and saw all three of our bass drums and realized, you know, we should do some social media stuff. And there, there was just some miscommunications that made it kind of hard because I was like, what? This would be a pretty good Instagram takeover thing. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You have the three of us here. Uh, but it, it ended up being like a miscommunication where on the la- when it was all over. I got hit up from the PR people at Gretsch DW that were like, all right, here's our login code. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, it already happened. And they wh- they had seen the last date of the camp, and they thought that was the start date. So it was just mis- – so for all of you that follow Gretsch's social media, I'm sorry that we didn't do more for you guys, but it was just miscommunication. Nobody's fault. But, yeah, it was, it was a blast, and uh, we all played Brooklyn's for this. So uh, Mark had a bop Brooklyn. Ash had normal rock sizes, and then I had the fusion size, uh, 2012, 14, and we just traded kits all week long. Did you guys all track on Ash's kit for the recording? No, we actually all tracked on my kit because it was the one that we mic'd up the most, and and it was in the middle, and then Ash and Mark both had just a nice set of overheads and kick mic, and then we had um, room mics and ribbon mics all over the entire place. Nice. So, yeah, but it was fun, man. We had a blast. The campers seemed to have a great time. So uh, the plan for that camp was to move it every year and for me to pick new dr- new drummers every year. So it would be myself and two new guys. But there's something really special about Grouse Lodge. That's the name of that castle in the studio. And there's something really special about the dynamic that uh, skill-wise what Mark, myself, and Ash bring to the table together because we're so different that I'm, I'm hoping I can convince the owner of Music Maker, that's the store that helps me put this on, uh, to, you know, I know he wants to expand his brand, which he should. He should expand his brand. He wants to take this camp to different countries and everything. He even mentioned, like, man, maybe we could go to Nashville and get Keith involved, Keith Carlock. And I was like, oh, that'd be amazing. But I think maybe he could do that even without me and do yeah. more and more of these camps. But I, I, 
I'm not doing these camps for money. I'm doing them because they they're just good for me. They reset my soul kind of, and and they reset my inspiration to be around Mark and Ash or Mark and Sput for an entire week. It was so inspirational because those two guys are really close to what I want to. They have a good mix of what I want to be doing in my life. You know, yeah. I don't want to be as artsy as Mark and Jazzy, and I don't want to be as as studio as Ash. But I want to be somewhere in between those two. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So I'm hoping that we can do this as an annual thing. I mean, it, the camp itself will be an annual thing, but I'd like to make it with Mark and Ash in that same location every year. So, man, I would like to have heard uh, Ash lay down some stuff because his pocket is ridiculous. It's already being sent to you. I have video after video <laughs> after video. I'm not kidding. Like I was just about to send it to you, and then we started this podcast. Oh, but cool. um, yeah, it's good, good stuff, man. And and I mean, to use his vernacular, he is a top bloke. <laughs> he is a top. He, he's a pure lad. <laughs> Such a good dude, man. Such a good dude. So, anyways, let's move on with the podcast yes. episode. By by the way, did you even get a chance to listen to the last one? Did we? Did it work? I got because like that half, was pretty rough. I got halfway through it. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It's good enough. No, I did. I listened because <laughs> I had to edit the whole thing, so I I listened to it. But I mean, it worked. It wasn't. We were nearly as bad as we thought it was. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I was. I mean, yeah, I was sitting in a a room with like. A thousand servers and yeah. uh, outboard gear trying to make it work. So, I had to okay, do a little good. bit of sliding around because there was just enough delay that it was like it was like we each were having strokes every time we were trying to go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. That is good. That was not the jet lag. That was just we were having strokes. Well, let's talk a little bit about education. Uh, this is something, this is a subject that you probably have to deal with quite a bit for how many songs you play. And definitely it was something in my past when I would cover gigs for other people, which is charting songs. And I'm assuming uh, you proposed this topic, and I'm assuming you're not talking about transcribing other people's songs, but you're talking about making some quick sheets for a gig. Uh, I kind of want to talk about or, all the options and what we've okay. done because I know you have something very specific that you've you've given to your students in the past that is very it looks just very different from what I do. Mm, perfect. So maybe we should start with yours, or we can go through some of my approaches. Um, just depends. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that I try to tell my students. The first thing is that. The only system that matters is the fact that it makes sense to you. No one else is going to judge your charts. No one else is going to ask, what does this mean? You're not charting it for somebody else. So as long as it makes sense to you and the way your brain works, that's perfect. Uh, So there are certain things for me that just are really important. The first thing that will ever show up on my charts, even above, probably right next to the tempo and the time signature, is who starts. I, I, that's all I want to know because if I don't start, there's so much pressure alleviated because that intro guitar riff is going to set the tempo. That intro guitar riff is going to remind me what the song is because I might not remember the name. The, and I'm talking about when I'm doing a lot of songs that I actually don't know. You know, if it's Beat It by Michael Jackson, that's one thing. But if it's just an original song and I'm covering the gig, I just need to know, do I start this? Is all the re- is all the weight on my shoulders for the first measure? So um, it literally says you start or it says <laughs> guitar start. And, and if it says you start, then there's much more information. Then there will be an intro groove. There will be uh, tempo, uh, maybe even the first couple words of the lyrics. There's okay. a lot of notes if I start because there's something that needs to trigger my head. So that I, what I don't want to do is do this. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Like, I don't want my voice to crack towards the end because I want to count us in with confidence, right? right. Just go, oh, two, 
three, a shaka doom. Uh, and we come in like I've played this song a million times. So those things are important for me. And then from there, it's just V's and C's and PC's. So verse, you know, equals V equals uh, C equals. Uh, if there's a pre-chorus, PC equals, B equals, bridge equals, and it's just mapping out the amount of bars. And then after I have that down, then I'll go back one more time and listen all the way through and see if there's any times that I need to stop. That's one thing that I'm always looking for. I don't care about fills, and even even if I miss a couple accented crashes, I can live with that. But I hate when the band stops and then I stop one note later yeah, realizing that I should have stopped. <laughs> yeah, It's like, bop! Yep. And then they come in one beat ahead of me because I'm looking around and they go, boom, I go, shoot, king, yep. ah. <laughs> and that, that just sucks. So, so yeah, so I get through, I can usually write out the whole song in two listens and then the third listen would be when I would put in the details if I want any. Um, and I think, and those details actually, I hate to say it, but they have a lot to do with the gig. If the gig is very like, I'm really saving somebody's ass by doing this gig, then, you know, I'm going to put a, a certain level of, I love when your camera slides down and just lands right on your chest. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, if it's, you know, if it's a very important gig, then I'm going to put more details into it. But sometimes it's just getting through the song. What about you? Um, so, yeah, it's similar. I think it's it's all gig dependent. And, I mean, I've done everything from, complete transcriptions where I have to learn every note, every fill, every variation. Um, like there's been a couple filling gigs where they were, they were pretty significant productions where like the whole show was mapped out and I had to, I had to play it exactly like the recording because there were also tracks that were going to be playing under me. So okay. if I didn't match up with the tracks, it would just be like a mess. Right. So those are just like full on transcriptions of every note, every detail, just like you would get a, a chart from a big band track or something. Um, and I also did that a lot just for practicing, just to learn guys' vocabulary and detail. If I really want to absorb, sure. you know, the world of Stuart Copeland, then I'm going to transcribe it every single note, every measure, down to every right. detail. But for most gigs, I either use a modified version of the Nashville number system. Okay. Which, instead of using numbers to indicate the chord change as I do without in Nashville, I just make X's. So I have, I'll put a V to the left of the page and just make an X for every measure that goes by. Okay. And then usually input like a, a bar line between every four or eight so it's easy to tell how many groups there are. Sure. And just do that for the whole chart and if there's any stops or starts I just notate it near that X like stop on beat three. Wow. Like so that. you're actually really kind of making a chart not just a cheat sheet. Yeah. It's kind of like a road I mean map. you're reading. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That way I don't have to I don't really have to count I just can kind of follow and say there's a four bar phrase, there's a four bar phrase. You can you can feel the the phrasing. Four, yeah. yeah. So I don't have to if if I just put like an eight, then I have to count. Like I don't really ah, I guess gotcha. forces me to count. But I've done that too, where I'll just put like V for verse eight, and that so yeah. I know the verse is eight bars long. Usually that's on stuff that I already kind of know. If it's like in a a more complicated song that might have six bar phrases or stops on the third bar. That's when I use the Nashville number system modification. Right. Um, and those are kind of my... So, yeah, the, there's two. The super, super small cheat sheet would just be V for verse, C, yep. CH for chorus, PCH for pre-chorus, B for bridge, maybe BD for breakdown, depending on what's in the song. 
and then I'll just yeah. write the number. I'll, I'll write out the basic groove, just the bass drum and snare drum part, and then yeah. the number of so it'll be the kick and snare pattern, and then sixteen. That's like my, my cheatest cheat sheet. But then the next yeah. step up is to do the X's for every measure. I think probably the only thing I can think of that shows up on my sheets that I don't know if it's a normal thing, but it's I just call them for nothings. So a lot of songs have a two for nothing. So we have the verse, the chorus, the chorus is over, and then there's just two bars for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> so I always have... TFN two for nothing really um, yeah or or one FN one for nothing just one extra bar for no freaking reason <laughs> the chorus is over <laughs> and then they just play like a bar of the verse groove and then the singer starts so it'll be you know chorus equals eight plus one FN one for nothing one extra bar so I don't put chorus equals nine because then I wouldn't do my kind of break it down fill till the ninth bar. Yeah. The chorus did end after eight bars, but then there was a one for nothing or a two for nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I use, use I just use I for intro, and then I know that that intro part just or instrumental, whatever whatever you want okay. to call it. And then sure. just whenever that comes back, I know it. Go back to that that section where you're Thing. playing the verse groove with no vocals that every songwriter yep. does. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I call a two for nothing or a four for nothing or a one for nothing. Yep. Yeah. So I have those. Um, so all right. Well, so I think. The most important thing that you get out of this is that it's okay to make your own, you know, and and to make your own cheat sheets. Like I said, I've seen some of the cheat sheets that uh, uh, Phil Collins would hand his band, and they made no sense at all. It was just dots and dashes and just reminders. So, I mean, the horn parts would be already memorized by the band as far as the notation, but the rhythm, he would just write, you know, dashes were long notes and and dots were short notes. I remember uh, when Gil Sharon was like filling in for Dillinger escape plan kind of last minute had to learn all their stuff for a tour. Mm-hmm. I was hanging out with him during that period and he showed me his charts and it was like, <laughs> it was like, I don't know how you can tell what the hell this stuff is. <laughs> it was like sort of notation, sort of hieroglyphics, right. sort of like words. And that's, that's kind of all it needs to be. Right. You know I mean? It just, yeah, he knew what it was. Right, exactly. That's what it comes down to is he knows what it is. By the way, sorry I'm making you dizzy. Um, <laughs> I just I just had to plug myself into an auxiliary battery pack because, guys, instead of using Skype today, we are using FaceTime. And in typical drummer fashion, my phone was on 10%. And I was yeah. like, I'm looking at the rundown. I'm like, yeah, we're about to get shut down. <laughs> so Mike had to just walk over with me to my bag as I did this. All right. Well, good. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that. I thought you would. I thought you were literally going to be like, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of." Let me tell you how to do this like a pro. And I'd be like, "Ow, ow! Why are you so mad?" Yeah, I think it's but a, no, I, whatever. Whatever works. But the, the thing for me that I'm learning is it's it, it's better to err on the side of too much information because yes. if you're learning like 30 songs, you're like, "Oh yeah, of course I know what that is." It, it stops. I'll remember in the sixth that bar, but it actually yep. stops on the end of three in the sixth bar. And if you don't right. remember that, you're going to look like a fool playing through that stop. Those stops are the the things that give me the the biggest panic. And then the other thing is outro. How do we get out of this? Because every song they give me always fades out. The song (laughs) does. And I'm like, well, I know we're not doing that. So how are we going to end this thing? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like, how are we going to end this thing? So those things are really important to me. How do we start? How do we stop? And how do we just keep this thing moving? And then, like I said, the most important thing to me is, do I start or do you start? Because if you start, I can hang back. But even even still, you still have to have the tempo because some, some artists go, 
they do the worst. They go, go ahead and count me in. Yeah, like, count me in. You know, <laughs> it's your song. I'm like, and I and I'll and I'll try to like deflect. I go, you got this. Oh, you man. know, and they're like, no, 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 just give me some hi hat. And I'm like. That's the whole point of me writing that you start is that I don't have to be responsible right now. This is a vacation. There were a couple times this weekend. I'm not going to call the guy out, but uh, there's a couple songs that had the same basic chord progression. And on two different songs, two different occasions, he started the wrong song, but didn't know how to get into the right song. (laughs) (laughs) It was sort of the same. Like one was actually in three, four, but he kept playing it in four, four, like the other song. And everyone on the band was just like, is he going to get it? Is it going to is it going to switch? And another <laughs> time, he actually started the whole song. I came in. I'm like, I guess we're playing that song again. And then he just stopped <laughs> it. He stopped. He's like, <laughs> of course, it was his fault. And, and it was it was funny. I mean, we 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 don't really care. But he right, got on the mic. Course. He goes, I don't know what the hell my drummer's doing. <laughs> oh no! It was That's awesome. awesome. It was super funny because even in Good my vibe, though. It, oh yeah, it was cool. But even in my head, I was thinking. Is this the right song? Like I don't know. I guess I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, that's the guitar. Uh, the guitar starting songs can be a little troublesome when the chords are very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into our feature artist. Our feature artist this week is a friend of mine that I know as a from being a minor artist. Uh, Minel actually sent him here a couple years back to do a master class and just hang out with the mikeslessons.com students and incredible incredible metal drummer uh, his name is Alex Rudinger and the first time I met Rudy was at the Minel booth at NAM probably 5 years ago now and he was just a kid and I see this kid well relative he's probably early 20s but he's staring at this screen of a metal drummer and he's just completely beside himself that Minel his favorite symbol company in the world has a video of him playing at their booth and he's not <laughs> staring like ego he's staring like he cannot believe it so i didn't know who he was or anything i mean this is five years ago i, I you know i was pretty new to Minel too i was pretty excited because they had me on this life-size billboard thing on the outside of the booth right. that i had just taken my own picture with and uh so i walk up to him and i'm like hey man how's it going and he's like his eyes are just super wide he, he can't believe what he's seeing on the monitor and I go, give me your phone. I'll take a picture of you next to this. This is a really cool <laughs> moment, man. So that's how we met. I just walked up to him and took a picture of him standing next to a video of himself at the Minel booth. And like I said, he wasn't watching because he was with ego. or with. It was just like he could not believe that he's being displayed at NAMM. You know? He's yeah. just a kid playing in his room. And uh, so that was my first time meeting him. And then he came here, and we just became really great friends. I got to see his insane, insane double bass workout uh, before he even starts playing. He is fully, fully drenched in sweat before he ever gets near a drum set. Um, so he's got those little uh, Gibraltar pads for the bass drum. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe the real feel ones. I can't remember if it was Gibraltar or real feel, but they make those bass drum pads. And it's, it's probably... Uh, God, I can't remember. Maybe a 20-minute nonstop workout. Um, very, very structured timer for every ounce of it. And that's before he ever gets near a drum set. That's so, like my have entire you ever, practice session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over the course of a week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know if I've ever practiced with that amount of focus. He's so focused. So, now, have you ever met Alex before? No, I haven't met him in person. We, I, you know, I've traded emails and texts because I had to send him his, uh, his Modern Drummer Reader's Poll uh, certificate one year oh cool it's funny he actually 
you know, when I, I left Maryland in 97, and in that time since I've been gone, like, all these drummers have kind of taken over my hometown. So he's from right. Frederick, Maryland. Uh, Anup Sastri's living in Frederick, Maryland. Halpern is from Halpern's not gotta be far near there, from right? there. Right. The only the only known drummer that lived in Frederick at the time was J.P. Gaster. Oh wow! Uh, from Clutch. Clutch. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, there's like all these these young guys just killing it, and they're and doing these awesome videos in their their home studios or wherever they are. Right. Like, I didn't know any of these guys. This this scene did not exist when I was there. Was, sure. Like there was sort of a dream theater kind of cult in the area at the time. Okay. But I mean, we're talking nearly twenty years ago. It's, it was a totally different world. So he, yeah, he lives. I'm pretty sure he lives right near. There's an area that I used to hang out in all the time. It's just so strange. Yeah, him yeah. And, and I saw Anoop's address, and I'm like, geez, I used to literally drive around in those mountains like all the time, like every weekend, really? just hanging out. So yeah, I haven't met him yet, but he seems like a you know really great guy, and I'd love the story that I mean, he's he's proving that you can you can be successful just doing video first. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's such a different world right now, and 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 Alex, I mean, God, I'm watching him play. I've seen him play a few times, and it's it's just, it, there's so much precision, so much power. And the thing is, I think what I noticed that was different was his level of precision and speed. That's what you normally get with the most meditative metal drummers that are just sitting very still right very small movements to play that fast and he does it with so much power i was like whoa man like this is incredible um and very minimal gear i mean he played what we had here for him he, you know he's playing a gretch and made it work he, he triggered the bass drums just because he was like i just want you to hear the clarity of what i'm playing yeah um but other than that everything else was normal and um yeah he, he's a he's a really good cat for sure so what uh, I didn't pull up his Wikipedia, but what has he been doing lately? Do you know? Well, we did a story in the uh, what issue is this? September issue about Good Tiger. That's the band. okay. Got it. And yeah, so it's basically just a, a a short interview just about tracking that and 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 just being in that band. But I I want to see this stuff live. So if they come to New York, um, I mean, there's something like. I mentioned Gil Sharon. He's another one of those guys where you see him on video, you're like, yeah, he can play drums. But if you see him in the room, the energy that he that he just he makes the entire room vibrate in like a such a powerful way. Right. And I think that's the that's what we're missing with everything going through YouTube and through our cell phones and our iPads. It's, it's like there's there's a difference between the guys who play with true power and the guys who just move their body a lot. You know? Right. And yeah. I assume Alex is one of those guys where he's literally oh, yeah. making the molecules in the space vibrate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, he's 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 a monster. And there's also a level of control where there is complete disregard for the instrument itself and just bashing. And then there's a, the next level of just energy. And his is energetic. I mean, he's not just hitting just for the sake of hitting. It's just who he is how he plays you know and and to your point about going out and seeing these people and not just seeing them on youtube i couldn't agree more i just saw i don't know if you saw but i saw dorico put up a post about the masters about mm. vinnie caliuda and will kennedy and going back to buddy rich and louis belson and gene krupa and he said these guys are our gods and our masters and our heroes because we made them that by supporting them we went to their concerts 
we bought the tickets, we right. bought the albums, and now people aren't really supporting their drummers and the artists the way they used to. So there's just so many because that's how these people got elevated to the status they were is they sold the most tickets. They had the most people at their concerts the, and that elevated them. And right now it's kind of becoming a views thing. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's real. Like, it's like, TV. I don't, it's a totally, totally different thing. It is. If you have 2 million views on your video, I don't know if that's real because there's ways to fake that. But if you have 20,000 people at your show, I can see them. Right. That is real. Yeah. You know, I, I can count your ticket sales. Uh, if there's 100 people at your clinic, I know that there's 100 people. And if there's four people, I know there's four people. So, uh, you know, but if, if somebody says, yeah, but we streamed the clinic and there was 26,000 viewing, it's like, I guess. I don't yeah. know. But if they're not willing you know? to come see you in the flesh, then they're not really fans, I don't think. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's even when we did the 21 Drums Camp and then we did the clinic the next, uh, the last night, because we did a clinic in Dublin, Ireland for the public. We always tell the crowd, or I always tell the crowd, you guys are more than welcome to film this for yourselves. But please don't upload it because the people that didn't come tonight, they they didn't make the commitment to come. They didn't get off the couch. You know, you came here for this. Yeah. So, so you should take pride in being here. If you want to film it just because you want to remember it or you want to relive it, that's fine. But but don't upload it, you know, um, because the less that we upload those special moments, the more that when I come to Iowa or when I come to Tampa, Florida, people will be willing to come out because they've never seen it before and they want to experience that special moment. Yeah, and, and, and there's nothing worse than just a lo-fi video recording of a great drummer. It's like, come on, you're doing, you're disrespecting everyone involved. I mean, quite totally. frankly, I've, we, I've had tons of emails about this for the podcast and just in general. What happened to the Modern Drummer Festival? Why aren't you doing a Modern Drummer Festival? Right. Sure. Well, that's why we're not doing a Modern Drummer Festival because people weren't coming out and supporting the show. They were waiting right. for the videos. First, they were waiting for the DVDs, and they were, then they were waiting for someone to just pirate it and put it up on YouTube. Yep. And, and, that's, and that's going so much deeper than just the MD Fest. I mean, that's where it started. But, I, I mean, all the companies that I play for – have told me like, Hey, we'll help you. We'll support your clinics if you're going to do them, but we are not going to be doing what we used to do in the past, which is going out of our way to book your clinics and to try to get you out to the world. And it's like, I, I, I get it. I totally get it. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's too bad because I think there's certain things that I'll never, ever be able to, as, as much as I work on speaking to a camera and getting my point across to a camera, there's just certain things that can't happen unless you're in the room for the moment. And there's certain things that I won't even feel talking to a camera compared to when I'm talking to a hundred people and I'm able to make eye contact. It's elevating my level of emotions and sensitivity for the moment so yeah and i can tell you from being at the modern drummer festival for those 10 years and then seeing the dvd product it is completely different experience i mean to see glenn kochi in the room do his monkey chant where he goes around and opens up like a hundred little noise boxes boxes with crickets in it it was like a theatrical like it's making me kind of excited just thinking about it it was it was like chillingly effective and how do you film that? You know? Yeah, and you see it on the DVD, and it's like, what's this guy doing? He's spending like five minutes opening cricket boxes. Well, if you would have right. been in the room, you would have heard the dead silence, and then one cricket, and then two crickets. Right. And then it just became this chatter. Like him, Will Calhoun, his performance was so powerful. It, I don't think it translated to the DVD very well. It could have been the mix or what, whatever. Sure. And Dugu Chancellor was one of those that like made people jump out of their seats. I don't think that translated to the DVD very well. Right. So it's like you're missing that like pure emotional reaction. 
<clears throat> Bernard Purdy. I mean, if you don't see Bernard Purdy in the flesh sometime and while he's still with us and playing at the level he is, you're really missing out. Because if you just see right. his goofy halftime shuffle videos on YouTube, <clears throat> that's great. But when he plays the drums, he gets such a huge, fat, relaxed, awesomely warm sound right. that you can't record it like properly. You yeah. have to feel it that. Just can't be- and it, even if you can record it, you can't. I can't, as a viewer, trust it. There's already a, a little bit of me that's going like, "Yeah, it would have sounded like that if I would have played it," because that's in the mix. Yeah. Even though it could be all him, but when you're in the room and you see it, and or maybe you're lucky enough to be backstage and like, "Okay, there's no mains, there's no speakers. Right. I, that's just his drum set." Like, oh man, yeah. And the other thing too is, it comes down to editing. The editing's really important. I know that I did the uh, what's the one that I did that you guys co-sponsored the Ohio. Oh yeah, Columbus Drum Days. The Columbus Drum Days, and that was such a, a, a cool thing. And everything that mattered to me about that festival never got filmed or never got released. You know what I mean? Really? There was like, well, I just mean I, okay. So, do you remember the Modern Drummer Festival? It's like to me still the breakout one that had Horacio Tony Royster when he was twelve. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that Virgil Donati, everyone was new. Uh, everyone was new, but everyone was about to, except for Steve Ferroni, but everyone was about to be our new favorite drummer. Yeah. In between every single clip is clips of them all backstage hanging out right. and talking. Yeah. And and Ed Thigpen walks in and yep. showing, you know, and it's like that to me is everything. And when I'm sitting there talking to Greg Hutchinson and he goes, Hey man, I heard you have a, a signature ride symbol. Let me, let me play swing on your ride. <laughs> it's like, that's what I want. That's <laughs> what I want. Right. I want to be like, Oh, that's what my symbol could sound like if I had technique. Fantastic. <laughs> and, and it's like, those are the moments. And it's like me playing a solo. It's like, that's fine. But the only thing I would have wanted released is the second my solo was over. What happened as I walked to the front of the crowd? Cause that's when I actually do my thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that even even if it goes in with the best intentions, you'll never get what it was like to be there to soak it all up, you know? Um, no, not at all. And I, I mean, it's, I don't know how Alex, I guess because Alex does a lot of video, but he sounds great on video. I've not seen him live. So you've seen him in a room hitting drums. So I'm it's sure that's impressive. a experience. It's impressive. And it's impressive because it's so aggressive. It's so just it's so physical and then as soon as it's over he's just such a sweet sweet guy so if you guys get a chance check out alex rudinger uh you can check out his new band which is called good tiger uh just go to youtube type type in alex rudinger r-u-d-i-n-g-e-r dash good tiger you'll see snake oil and a bunch of other videos and it's pretty amazing stuff all right moving on to gear review so is this becoming like one of your your go-to guys now the uh, five and a half by fourteen single ply maple snare. The well, I you know I yeah okay. So we're talking about the Modern Drummer 40th anniversary single. Now ply do you get maple do you snare. get weird talking about Modern Drummer stuff? Do you feel like you're selling it? Yeah, I do, and that's why I'm like, I mean, I I co I designed this with Bruce Hagwood to make it like this is your Swiss Army knife. Any gig, do whatever you want. You can take this snare. snare. Uh, I don't take it out a ton because I don't want to be like that guy that's wearing the T-shirt for his own yes. hand kind of stuff. Right, like a low, like a low boy beater T-shirt <laughs> that you're not wearing right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I don't, just kidding. I don't work at low boy beaters. Exactly. No, I, I'm with you. There's you'll never see me wearing a Mike'sLessons.com T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. So anyway, but it was purposely designed to be 
kind of your all-purpose, if you just have one drum to take, take this one. And I want okay. it to be maple because you can make a maple drum sound brighter with heads and tuning. You can't really make a brass drum do the wood thing as well. So right. Sure. This is kind of designed to be the all-purpose drum. So it's a single-ply steam bent shell. Uh, Bruce Hagwood at RBH Drums did it for us. I uh, had them cut it with 45-degree edges with a little bit of a, a rounded back cut, and that was done simply to make it super supremely sensitive but not, like, thin and bright-sounding. So the, the rounded back cut kind of keeps the fatness in there, but the 45-degree makes it really, really sensitive. And I I was kind of surprised because I took it this weekend. I did the first outdoor gig. I used a prototype from another company to check it out. It sounded amazing. The second night, it was inside of, like, a brick a bar with just a bunch of brick walls and stuff. So okay. I was like, all right, I can't use that prototype because it had some metal in it and stuff. Like, I know that's going to just be not, it's going to be too much drum. So I used this drum, um, and I had it tuned pretty low, and I was really surprised at how sensitive it was all the way out to the edge. Like, really wow. light playing. Like, I'd, I feel like it could it could cover a concert drum kind of stuff. Really detailed. Really, really light wow. detailed stuff. Um, so that's the, you know, the edges are cut to do that. So And it has a trick throw-off um, coated single-ply head. We actually had custom brass tube lugs designed. So they're not just your general World Max generic uh, pot metal lugs or whatever. Right. They're actually strong, hefty brass. Okay, so with brass tube lugs, and I've heard that, I mean, even when myself and Mark Juliana were designing bingo uh when we were designing our <laughs> snare for for gretch back in the day we we had to decide between just standard steel t- uh tube lugs and then the brass ones the brass ones were much more expensive obviously yeah. but one thing i never got a chance to ask was is that only for durability or does it actually change the sound of the drum at all well brass is the most um musical metal so it definitely right. vibrates at a, in a musical way. So it adds to okay. the sound, and it also it's just a very sturdy, strong metal. Right. It's not going to strip Got out it. on you. It's not going to bend. It's it. not going to snap. But the, the the main purpose for it is just the the reliability of the metal. Exactly, and f- okay. and the fact that it's not it's not a metal that's going to restrict the sh- the shell. It's going to actually okay. vibrate a little bit with it. Okay. Yep. So it's I mean it's a simple natural maple shell. Um, I did a bunch of demos um, recently. I did one, which is what I'll what I'm going to drop in is a demo of it played kind of like a bebop style with just two mics. So it's an overhead about I don't know three feet over my head, and then a bass drum mic about six inches in front of the bass drum. Okay, that's kind of the jazz kind of medium tight style. And then I'm going to chop up another chunk of a demo where it's more of a studio sound. I go like medium low and just play some backbeats. And then I go super low and put a couple wads of uh, gaff tape on it. So it okay. kind of shows versatility. And then real quick, um, I don't, you might have mentioned it, but did you, t- did you say what kind of hoops it has? Does it have the normal triple flange hoops? It does. 2.3 okay. millimeter triple flange hoops. So standard, sturdy, not super thick. I didn't want to go die cast because I didn't want to restrict it too much. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Well, let's give it a listen.
I want to remind everyone that if you're interested in that drum, um, you can just email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, and we are still offering it at $8.99 for podcast listeners. So just mention that in the email, and we'll get you hooked up. Nice. Very nice. So listener question time, eh? I, I'm i sure we only have one or two. <laughs> I've got a whole folder of them. <laughs> Let's get through a few here. All right, so let's see. What's the easiest one to do first? Um, this one comes in from Tom out of Boise, Idaho. He okay. wants our thoughts on metal drum kits and specifically mm. trick drums if we have any experience with them. Mm. I, the only experience I have with trick drums, um, and I'm, I'm assuming he's not just talking snare drums, but the entire drum, drum set. Drum kits, yeah, metal drum yeah. kits. The only experience I have, unfortunately, is at NAMM. And it's really hard to just tell yeah. anything at NAMM. I, I've honestly, I've played, the only other metal drums that I've ever played was when Peisty made the 2002 full kit that Danny Carey eventually bought. And they had to take a forklift to get it out because <laughs> it was so heavy. Um, so that's the only time I've ever played one. But that was, you know, in, insane. So I, I've never played the trick one outside of NAMM. Have you? No, I haven't. But I've heard, um, I can't remember his, which who it was, but it was a like a legendary jazz drummer. Um, might have been Marty Morrell. I don't remember, but he did a pace because I think he lives in Phoenix or somewhere, somewhere where a wood a wood drum kit would like literally melt if it was outside. Oh, okay. So he uh, he played trick drums in a clinic and he played jazz on them and they sounded awesome. Really? Yeah, they sounded fantastic. I think I think metal kits in general get a a bad rap just by what we assume that they're going to be super bright and loud and and only right. for rock and roll, but. Uh, I know the trick makes incredible parts, like their their bass drum pedals are incredible. I mean, their throw-offs are basically an industry standard. So right. having not actually seen one of their kits up close, I can guarantee that it's going to be top-notch quality. Now, sure. is all are all of their kits aluminum, I'm assuming? I can't remember. You know, I think so. I, I think they're aluminum. I mean, that is their thing, right? Yeah, because they don't want anything that would rust. Uh, we, I'll have to check. I don't want to okay. assume, but I... But I have played Q drums, um, steel. Oh yeah, like a, a galvanized steel kit, which mm-hmm. sounded really fat and and surprisingly versatile, and just looked super cool. Their drums just have so much vibe. And uh, does Ron does Ron have one? Yeah, that was the other one. The the yeah. Danette, Well, he also makes the Ludwig uh, stainless steel kits for them. He does the oh he does them, yeah. okay. So any any Ludwig stainless steel I believe is coming out of his shop, but. Uh, he he makes the titanium kits, which oh, are in, nice and light, super light and really warm sounding. Again, I have some I have a friend uh, down in the DC area. That's he bought a titanium kit, and that's like his jazz bebop slash studio slash everything kit. So really, yeah, wouldn't shy away from them if if you think they can only do the loud, aggressive, abrasive thing. They're they're pretty versatile. Well, I, I clearly support it. I just ordered my first titanium watch yesterday, so <laughs> that tells you how much I support titanium drums. Can somebody make <laughs> titanium cymbal stands so we can stop breaking our backs? For the love of God. <laughs> I would buy two well, of them. I don't mean What were on. those? I think it was Gibraltar that had those crazy light ones that looked like they were brushed, but I think they, they must have been aluminum. Yeah, um, probably. They had quick releases for all of the... There was no wing nuts anywhere. Um, and those were, those were great. They were just... They kind of... 
in typical Gibraltar fashion, tried to make them too Star Trek-ish, too futuristic. Oh, yeah. It's like, just make it light. Just make it light. We're all good. It's all good. But uh, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think, in the end of the day, it sounds like what you're saying is that the drummer will have the drummer's touch. So if you take a professional jazz drummer and put him on a metal kit and let him tune it up, he's going to have his jazz touch and it's going to sound great. Um, I can't imagine... He tunes it up all bebop style. He goes to play it, and all of a sudden, he just sounds like a complete rock and roll moron. Yeah, exactly. Because his shells are made out of metal, right? <laughs> right. So it, it comes down to you. And I, I think, honestly, when I think of metal drums, I kind of think of carbon fiber. I think of fiberglass. I think of just those things where it's like, look, this is a very cool thing that it's it's able to be done. Uh, I don't know that it's more purposeful than a nice maple drum set, but if it fits your thing, then that's awesome. Yeah, and they're just they're very stable and consistent. I mean, that's yeah. kind of their advantage over, over yeah. wood drums is that you can make a steel drum exactly the same, and it's going to sound every time. pretty much exactly the same every time. Whereas every piece of every plank of wood is going to have some different water content and different density. Yep. So you're not always going to get like if you would like if you go and buy a 10 inch tom for your kit 10 years after you bought the original kit. It's not going to match up perfectly. Right. It's just totally. not going to match. So, but if you order a stainless steel kit and then 10 years later get a 10-inch Tom, it's probably going to sound <laughs> perfectly fine yes. with it. So Thank anyway. you, Andrew Carnegie, for uh, for figuring all that stuff out for us. And uh, do you, By the way, do you say Carnegie or Carnegie? Carnegie Hall. Okay. So you don't say Carnegie Hall. Carnegie. Car- Carnegie. Yeah. Carnegie Hall. There's, there. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> trust me, I've watched enough documentaries on uh, Andrew Carnegie that I know there's a lot of really intelligent human people that say, when Carnegie got into power, I'm like, wow, Carnegie, okay. Carnegie, what about nuclear? Yeah. Does anyone around you say n- uh, nuclear? Ooh, yeah, my state. Yeah, nuclear. Oh, man, that drives me. So you say nuclear. Because that's the word. No, I'm aware of that. Thank you. I just went through that. I was just in Europe. I just went through this with freaking aluminium and garage uh. and mayonnaise. Uh, and I was like, it's mayonnaise. And they're like, but then why wouldn't you pronounce the O? It's mayonnaise. Uh. I'm like, it takes you an hour to say that word. It's aluminum, mayonnaise, garage. It's aluminium, garage, mayonnaise. Oh, I could never say that word like that. <laughs> Dude, I, and I'm and I have to concede the fact that I'm like your English. My language is English. You clearly invented this. You are correct. Sorry, I'm not doing it. It's mayonnaise. Pass it down, dog. Don't make me uh, get nuclear on you. <laughs> don't, I don't want to get all caramel on you. It's caramel. Uh, caramel. No, that's that's caramel. <laughs> Shut up. It's spell, caramel. Spell the word. I don't need to. It's mayonnaise. It's caramel. I don't have time for all those extra syllables. There's a place called Carmel, but that's not the food. That is correct. Yeah, it's not. I'm not going to go take a little vacation with Amber and the dogs to Caramel. <laughs> <clears throat> going down to the coast, just going to spend some time at Caramel by the sea. <laughs> It's Carmel. <laughs> it, yeah, it wouldn't be bad. All right. Maybe we should get to the second question. Uh, uh, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. Dude, I will Carmel. change. Okay, I'll change it to caramel, but I'm not saying mayonnaise. What about nuclear? I can say nuclear. Okay, that's fine. All right, good. Yeah, nuclear is fine, uh, but mayonnaise not going to happen. Garage, that's just a, uh, an enunciation thing, and then definitely aluminium. No, that doesn't even sound like the right word to me. 
Dude, you know what's really messed up is physics. So we have uh, centrifugal force and centripetal force. Right. That's really confusing. But they're lucky. They get centripetal force and centrifugal force. So their words are so different that it's really in physics over there, it's easy to keep them apart. But for us, it's like almost the same words, centripetal and centrifugal. And they have centripetal, centrifugal. All right. And that's your (laughs) – there you go. Yeah, I like that one better. I'll take those. All right. Next one is from David. He says – he took our advice to get the X-Clip to do a double miking technique on the snare drum. Yeah. He's using an SM57 and an AKG451, which are both okay. both industry standards. He says he's never mic'd this way, so he's curious if we have some thoughts on how we would mix the two mics. So his assumption is that the 57 would be used for as the primary mic and the condenser would be used to pick up subtleties such as ghost notes. Um, since I do it every day, um, and I'm, I'm mixing demos and, and recordings just about every day, you would assume that the 451 would be to pick up the subtleties and stuff, but I've actually found that that condenser picks up a lot more tone. I really? use it. I use it more for filling out the sound than I do. I use the bottom mic to get the subtleties and the ghost notes and stuff. So the 57 gives me the smack, gives me the, the punch, and then I use the condenser just to fill it out to bring in some of the, the tone. Huh. Wow. So if, when you have the time and you're not restricted or anything, you go with three mics on the snare? Two on the top, yeah. one on the bottom? By default, okay. it's three, yeah. Wow. Unless I don't have wow. enough channels, then I would just lose the probably lose the condenser. But I've, I've tried everything. I mean, unless you're going for a, a simple, like, overheads and bass drum kind of setup, sure. I can't get enough. The 57 just sounds like a 57, so I can't get right. enough of the character of the drum for what I'm doing for the magazine as far as trying to demo the nuance of the, the drum itself. Yeah, I mean, you're reviewing a thousand snares yeah. and if you're I trying to make use them a, separate. If I just use a 57, like, yep, that sounds like last week's snare. Like, yep, it's exactly right. the same drum. It's the classic sound, but then I need that condenser to pull in the character of the drum that's unique, the tone and stuff. That's why sure. a lot of the demos that I that I record, the most people would say, damn, that drum rings a lot. Well, that's because I don't want to muffle it, and I, I want to showcase the potential that the drum can give you. I could... I could muffle it down. I could tune it a certain way to get rid of all those overtones. But then it's like, okay, that sounds like a snare drum. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think those overtones are what separates the drum. Um, <clears throat> Good or bad. Yeah. I mean, there's some drums that have totally. spikes in overtones um, like that just that drive you nuts, which is you know, a part of the problem that with I have with, with ply shell snare drums is they seem to have certain spots where they have frequencies that just they're so prominent like there's be a high overtone there'll be like a low mid overtone that you can't it's not balanced you can't really kind of make it like a just a nice open solid shell drum would just kind of be a nice open sound with all the frequencies there some ply drums it's like there's these weird spikes you can go in and try to eq that stuff out but then it kind of loses some of the vibe or you can try to muffle it out but then all of a sudden you're just getting it's sometimes when you put a piece of moon gel on the drum, it actually makes that tone more noticeable because it dampens right. all the other stuff. And like, there's that yeah, freaking tone again. Then you just start it just taping it up there. more and taping it up more. Yeah, and then it's just then it's the Aaron Sterling. Yeah, exactly. Which I love that sound, but right now, do you do you notice that same thing? Because you're saying that's happening in plied shell. Do you find stave shells and steam bent shells to be similar, or are they actually quite different to you? Very sonically? different, and that's that's okay. why when when I was thinking about doing these snare drums for the magazine that I, 
I wanted to do a solid shell because I know that it would be it would it would be more balanced across the entire spectrum. And I'm that's not just my opinion. Shannon Forrest, who we'll talk about probably next week, he uses no ply shell snare drums. He only uses stage really? and solid shell drums because he just okay. doesn't they're either boxy or they're just have a weird tone. Wow. It's pretty consistent. I mean, you can get you can turn any you know a factory made snare drum, just send it out to a a custom drum guy that's local to you, and he'll be able to dial in the bearing edges and stuff to kind of make it sound more balanced. But just straight off the shelf with just a generic forty five degree bearing edge on a six ply shell or whatever, it's not gonna it's not gonna work for me. It's going to just be either sure. dull or just have some annoying sounds that I end up taping out. So they just end up becoming a drum that I tune super low and put like a tape of a wad of tissue to it or something. Yeah, sure. Gotcha. All right. Well, I hope that helps, buddy. Next. All right. Third. This is from Lou. He says um, he's heard a few times that I've mentioned that I host open mic nights, and I do. I do it twice a month. Um, he's never attended an open mic that has a house drummer. So how does that work? And how hard is how hard is it to play for songs that you never heard before? He's hmm. referencing the scene in Back to the Future where it's like, all right, guys, <laughs> just listen and play blues and B and so. But that's yeah. that's pretty much how it goes down. That's pretty me. much it. That's like literally <laughs> that sentence. All right, guys, blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and uh, try to keep up. That <laughs> sentence has been said a billion times. I mean, I could say that 20 more times and nail it every time because I've heard it. Like, dude turns around. All right, guys, blues riff and B, watch me for the changes and uh, try to keep up. And then, <laughs> and then he just counts you in and you're like, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll let you talk extensively about, extensively about this because you deal with it all the time. But I, I used to do quite a few open mics, both jazz and then more on like a funk side. But the one thing that is always prevalent is the people on stage are not looking to embarrass you. They're looking to just play good music. So you can always tell them, Hey, I'm really uncomfortable. And they'll say, you know what? We'll just, we'll just jam a blues. And it doesn't mean just, you know, that doesn't mean the blues. So you don't have to kick into some weird blues shuffle. Um, it, and so the, sometimes it can just be a jam. Sometimes they'll say, well, what songs do you know? And maybe they'll find one that you guys all agree on. But for the most part, they're going to be very supportive. And as long as you keep good time, and you don't chase what's happening. You just keep keep good time. Generally, everything works out just fine. It's much better than you think. And then while you're doing that, you start to all the things that you've heard in your past about like listening and having a conversation with other musicians. It starts to make sense because when you're playing music on the high wire like that, you have to listen. You have to have big ears and stuff. So yeah, what do you think? Bud? Sometimes it's literally a conversation, like in the middle of a literally. Gym. Yeah. So I mean, so with with the group that I do that I host these sessions with, it's it's a, the core section of a guitarist, drummer, and a bass player. Between the three of us, we've probably played every possible uh, cover band song and in, in the kind of classic rock genre. So at least one of us will be like, "All right, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to make sure that I cue the starts and the stops." And right. there'll be times if I've never even heard the song before that I'm like. All right, Sean, the bass player, just just look at me and let me know what what's happening. So he'll be like, he'll just mouth certain words like halftime, right? Or yep. break it down, yep. or stop, or he'll cue odd phrases by just like kind of swinging his bass in certain ways that I can know that all right, it's going to be a seven bar phrase or something like that. Right. So it's really all about communication, and it's kind of like most most songs for open mics, the grooves are 
just straight up backbeat stuff. So it's not yep. even if I don't play the beat the way it was recorded. Within f- usually the first two bars, I'll just play something really straightforward, and then I'll hear the bass line. I'm like, all right, I know what I need to, I need to do to make it just sound better yeah. to get through it. Um, and that's kind of how it goes down. So it's a lot of actual communication of like words and eye contact, right. and and then it's a lot of nonverbal stuff with you know guys giving you the look like we're going to the next section by tilting their head right. a certain way. Yep. What what I can tell you is usually the. So when what it, so we're the core band, and then people of all different levels come up and sit in with us. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're you can tell that they're they've been playing a lot of years with different people, and they're great at communicating. Sometimes they're great players, but they have no idea how to play with people. So right. they come up and they turn their back to you the whole time, and they just kind of plow through the song. And I'm right. like, dude, none of us have ever played this song before, so you've got to like give us a what's up you know like right. where where yeah, are we yeah. at here? It, it's their moment in their mind <laughs> yeah so they yeah. just kind of plow through the song and we're just kind of at the end of it just like dropping sticks like all right we got to the end sort of but yeah, if yeah. that person would have just turned around and looked at us and just said verse or chorus or breakdown then it would have been yeah. a much better experience so that's just like you said it's all about just communicating just yeah. being aware that not everyone's going to be completely comfortable and for me it's just like whatever man I'll, I have a disclaimer if they come up on the stage and they're like I'm going to do a journey song I'm like well I don't do any journey songs I don't know any journey songs <laughs> I'll I'll play it but I would suggest you pick something else right 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 yeah there's nothing wrong with just being honest uh, you know and the other thing too is Lou when you're doing this stuff don't let the real groove of the song get in your head too much if you actually don't know it. So if I get up on stage, um, or let's say you get up on stage and somebody calls Sissy Strut, they you don't have to play Zigaboo's groove from Sissy Strut to make that song work. You yeah. could literally just play backbeat with the tiniest bit of swing, and everyone else's part will work fine. It'll all swing over just fine. What will train wreck the song is you trying to figure out the original groove for the first 90 bars of the tune. Yep. You'll never ever. It's like you could just get through. You could just stay here the whole time. Yeah. And everything's gonna be fine, you know. And that's one of those that a lot of guys. I played that almost every night, and it's. I mean, I know I've played to that original record so many times, but I know that if I go full on Zigaboo, it's not gonna be. It's gonna freak some people out. Like in the B section, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if I start yeah, playing totally. the B section like Zigaboo, they're gonna be like, "Dude, give me some ride symbol. Give me something." Don't just yep. play these weird little fills in between the the line. And another one that that I've kind of had to grit my teeth and just succumb to it is uh, when people want to do Johnny Be Good. Oh, okay. And it's supposed to be played with a swing shuffle with a straight eighth guitar part. So it's supposed to be uh. this rub of of a drummer who can't straighten out his groove oh, underneath the guitarist who just who's uh-huh. chugging straight. But nobody on the the basic club scene thinks that's correct they're like dude right. straighten it out play it straight i'm like that's not the way the song is supposed to go if you're right. doing like the i don't know the rascals version or maybe rolling stones version sure maybe they play it straight but if you're going to do it like the real version it's supposed to have a shuffle feel rubbing against that chugging guitar but i've tried it i've tried to convince people <laughs> i've tried to play them the original recordings <laughs> it's just like i give up and dude's like just play it straight i'm like fine all right we'll just do it the bar band version <laughs> <laughs> bar band version i love it <laughs> fine i'll just suck for you that's my advice with that stuff but just be flexible and just like whatever i need to do to make sure that that the person sitting in at least has a decent experience so 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what matters the most is that the 26 people in attendance enjoy themselves, right? I mean, that's that's the whole reason to do it in the first place. So, so Lou, uh, please keep us updated. Would love to know when you sit in for the first time. It's quite an experience. Um, was that Lou Montuli, by the way? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he's coming to camp in a few weeks, so we have an open mic always, uh, almost every night up on, a, up on Sutter Street here in Old Town Folsom. So ah, maybe, maybe I'll walk all the campers up there and say, all right, everybody, it's time to, it's time to do this. You should the only problem, do that. The only problem is then old Teach has to sit in, and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Sissy Strut, uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go, exactly. They'll be like, oh, you're the teacher? Here we go, Rosanna. I'm like, nah, it's all good. We don't have to do that. All right, guys, so please, uh, do we have time for one more, or are we good? Uh, let's move on. We've got a, okay. a stack more. Next week, we're going to do some of the audio questions that we got emailed to us. Those Perfect. are great. So send your, your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. They can be a, just a simple text question, or if you want to send us a video or an audio, that would be awesome as well. Awesome. And I don't think we need to wait another 45 episodes to do an all question podcast maybe we'll plow through some on episode 60 or something like that yeah, and just yeah. drop 20 of them at once all right well let's get to our picks of the week this is my mine and mike's chance to give you guys a little quick alert about something that is making a small or a big impact in our lives sometimes it's something that you can purchase sometimes it's just something to check out for free on youtube and sometimes it's something to listen to and purchase some music so what do you got this time buddy Mine is not drum-related, but it is lifestyle-related, which has influenced my drumming as well. And I'm also going to suggest to anyone listening that might be an app developer that they turn this into a drum product. So Under Armour and MyFitnessPal is an app. It's a free app on the iTunes Store. It's basically a calorie diet counter. That okay. So it's able to access a database of anything that you eat, and it'll give you the nutrients, it'll give you the calories, it'll give you the serving size, all that stuff. What I use it now because I, I spent like two years kind of doing like a Atkins diet and then a modified Atkins diet and then the slow carb okay. diet just to get down to a healthy weight. I was kind of like 20 pounds over where I should have been. And then six months ago, I was kind of stuck like three or four pounds over. Like I just couldn't get down to where I needed to be. And for me, it's 100% portion control and being right. aware of what I'm eating. Yep. So when I was doing Atkins, I was like eating half a chicken every meal. Like, <laughs> right. Which was great for kind of readjusting my metabolism, but there comes a point where like, dude, you're eating like 5,000 calories. You should probably start right. checking it out. So this app has been the key for me to get finally get down to where I want to be, and it's also, uh, it it tracks how many steps you take, so it's been, it's been causing me to go outside during the workday and just walk around more because... I'm kind of like a uh, like a task, like a goal-oriented person. So if I open that app and I see that I've only walked like 30% of my daily steps, that's that's just unacceptable. I'm going to go walk around. Right. You know, so yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah. basically – so you just log in your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, everything that you consume, your snacks. You set goals for what, you know, what weight you want to be at and where you're at currently. Um, it tracks – you can set your macros as far as your protein, the fat to uh, – carbs you know what kind of a mix you want for that and it just keeps track of everything it's been it's been awesome for me i've i've finally gotten that portion control thing under control and i can uh i can still eat ice cream it's been great and i think i think someone could do a drum version of this where you can you can set your goals you can set your you know what you know where you want to be and you just log in all of your practice all of your gigging whatever it could be there has to be a way to modify this for for drumming because i know for me 
like I'm also learning Spanish and I use Duolingo. Lingo. Okay. Duolingo. And it's just a simple thing where if I see that I'm four out of five steps completed for one topic, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to finish it. Absolutely. So I think that could be a drum thing as well. If you're only four or five steps complete in whatever your rudimental ritual, you're going to, it's going to, it's going to make you practice more. So this is making me finally stop gorging on mayonnaise. (laughs) Yeah. Mayonnaise. Oh God. We're putting those on your tomatoes. (laughs) And your pasta. That one's rough for me to handle, bro. The pasta? I'm like, what, what the language hell is are you? that? That's dude, a lot of people in Europe say say, Oh, I love a good marinara with pasta. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what was the last word you just used? Is that anything like pasta? <laughs> I was <laughs> it's so funny because like I'm fully aware that they invented the language that I speak. So there's no discussing it. You are factually correct. I just can't get on board with some of them. Uh, like Pasta and garage. Pasta? Uh, I mean, it just sounds like paste. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want to eat that. I'm not eating that. <laughs> I'm time for that. All right. My pick of the week this time is Sonic. It is not Sonic the food. Uh, it is for your ears. And it is the artist Laura Mavula. She's one of my favorite artists of all time. She has a new album all uh, out called The Dreaming Room. And the reason I'm suggesting this is not just because of her album, even though I think it's fantastic. It's because of the drums on the album. Troy Miller is the her musical director. He produced it. He is her drummer. He has worked with Amy Winehouse, Mark Ronson, and a ton of others. And I think he actually writes some of the most incredibly creative drum parts I've ever heard. Luckily, uh, this time I just spent at the 21 Drums Camp. Ash Sohn was there. Ash is friends with Troy. I got to talk to him, and he said, yeah, man, the guy's flat-out brilliant. Uh, the, the drum parts are incredible. There's a song. can't remember the name of it right now. It might be called um, Show Me Love. And the intro is this keyboard part in seven, and then he comes in with a 4-4 four, four groove. So then they're, they're looping, but he the backbeat that should be on four in the four, four, he displaces a little bit. So he's actually making four, four sound a lot like a seven, eight groove. Oh, cool. But it is in four, four. And, and it's like, it just messes with your senses for a while. He's one of those guys. I had, there's another song on an older album where the A section of the song is the only part that has the drums. Then every B section, the drums are out. But each time they come back to the A section, which I think is like five times in the song, he layers it a little bit more, a little bit more. A little, by the time it's like this thick, rich Matt Chamberlain groove, even though it only started out as kick and snare. Nice. And the part's the same every time. So I'm a huge fan of his drumming and his thought process going into the stuff. And then finding out from Ash, Ash was like, no, 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 he's not, he's not our drummer. He's her musical director. He's the producer of the albums. Mm. He's... He's doing it all. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm thinking some other genius is telling him to play these parts. So once I knew that he's the one that's coming up with it and how it complements the song, and he's getting the singer-songwriter on board with it, it's just incredible, man. Really I hate incredible. these guys. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I Greg know, me Wells. Too. I mean, come on. You guys oh, can't do it all. Come on. Just don't Leave sing. some room for some just of us. Be, yeah, exactly. Just don't sing like a bird. Don't be no. that guy. <laughs> don't be, don't, yeah, don't be all... Uh, Oh, what's his name? The guy that I was just in uh, Spain with, uh, Josh, oh, Dion. Josh Dion. Don't yeah. be all Josh Dion on it. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so Laura Mavula, it's, uh, the last name is M-V-U-L-A, and the album is called The Dreaming Room. Fairly new. Uh, track two features Nile Rodgers, very cool, funky guitar part. So yeah, it's good stuff. Check it out. Dig it. All right, buddy. Well, I will talk to you next week. 
And and maybe maybe Skype just got the axe. I mean, FaceTime's kind of killing. Yeah, I mean, I think I can FaceTime on my computer, so I don't have to use my cell phone next time. I have to look at my my chest for an hour straight. <laughs> it's okay, man. I'm. It, it actually works. I'm th- really considering ordering a low boy beater now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that subliminal stuff is real. I didn't believe in it until just now. But this whole time, I'm like, i got to get a new beater. My foot would be so much faster if I just had a new beater. <laughs> By the way, uh, while in Ireland, I hooked up with a guy that handles all the merch for the Ramones and Snarky Puppy and everything. And we're going to start doing merch. So nice. uh, we've never had Mike's Lessons t-shirts or, or sweatshirts or anything. And, and now that we have the new logo... My thing is, let's get rid of the Mike's Lessons. Let's just have the dots there. Yeah, if you know, cool. you know. And if you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know, then it's just a shirt. And if you know, cool. But I can't stand the whole, like, Bob's plumbing. You know, it's like, you I, don't, I don't want that. You don't want to put your face on the back? No, no. I'll put it right <laughs> on the front. But no, I, 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 I can't stand that crap. So, uh, But just the logo by itself, like I said, if, if a drummer sees you, it's like, oh, cool, then it's fine. And then if not, it's just a cool design t-shirt. So we're going to do okay. t-shirts and hoodies and everything else. So I'll let you guys know when that stuff is available. Okay. For now, we are out of here. Please give us a rating. We don't really care because you're going to make fun of me for saying giving us five stars. So just give us whatever you can. <laughs> Your charity is most welcome to both of us. Uh, what a, how do we do on our bingo board today? What, three? Maybe? Oh, I, I threw it away. I don't even know. <laughs> okay. Because I said camp 46 times. We said Mark Juliana once. Juliana, Gretch. Uh, oh, God. Everyone, have a great day. We'll see you guys again in episode 56 next week. Until then, go practice.